now I'm having to like really get freaking real with myself that I'm not like I'm a fraud. Like I got to take the nails off. I've got a coupon. I've got to like rent a room out in my house. I got to get rid of the cars. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Financial Independence Show, where today we have on Lauren Cabello, a frugal living expert who's going to be talking to us about networking and getting in with media. But before we start talking to her, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. Yeah, this was another weekend of kind of mostly around Austin, the slash San Antonio area and a lot of projects. But the big thing that was this weekend was my buddy George's promotion to major in the Air Force. He's somebody that I met as soon as I joined the Air Force. We ended up being in all three states, the last three states. So we lived together in Colorado. We lived on the street from each other in Boston. And now he's down in San Antonio while I'm in Austin. So we've got to follow each other around, become really good friends, actually worked in the same office. So he got promoted to major, which was really cool, which is a a good segue into also some more of my laser stuff that I've been doing, another one of my hobbies. So in this instance, it got to kind of save me some money and also make a really cool gift. So I made him a set of coasters, slate coasters that were all his favorite ski mountains. I took like the ski maps and lasered into some slate coasters that looked really slick. And the laser has not only been just like a money saving thing, it's actually turned into a little bit of a money making thing on the side. Very small, but uh, Leslie's been selling more candles and we found that people really like to customize the little thing that the candle's set on, so which is concrete. And so we've been lasering in GPS coordinates, last names, marriage dates, all sorts of stuff in there. So that's been a nice little side hustle, one of my first real little side hustles. And then the rest was just a lot of projects. So we did this DIY concrete floating shelf using like an Ikea shelf, which was really cool. Hung a TV, added an electrical outlet, which I'd never done before. A lot of lasering and 3D printing. And then also I'm making a lot of progress on getting my 10-inch screen installed in my 2010 F-150. So this is a straight (laughs) up work truck. Like it has no bells and whistles. And now it's about to be on par with my Tesla where I can do split screen Google Maps and Spotify. Close your ears if you're a safety expert, but I can also, you know, watch live TV going down the road if I really wanted to. So it's a <laughs> it's a pretty cool setup with like a hands-free mic and GPS and front and backup camera, the whole nine yards. So I love weekends like this. I found out as I've, you know, gotten older and traveled so much, sometimes I like just staying home and getting stuff done. How about you, Cody? Definitely sounds like you're staying busy. I'm excited to see the things that you come up with with the laser engraver and maybe I'll have to make a trip down there and get my own little present. (laughs) But uh, speaking of skiing and laser engraving those coasters, I took a tumble actually on Thursday. I was up skiing at Killington on Wednesday and Thursday of last week with Lauren's family. And I was the last run of the day. I was on a side trail and I hit a side jump and there was less coverage than I thought. And I just snowed, but I was like, ah, this should be decent coverage. Landed on a rock Then I ended up popping off the rock. My board kind of like sparked, jammed my arm into the ground, dislocated my bad shoulder that hasn't come seriously dislocated since I was 18 when I got surgery on it. So I'm actually recording this intro in a sling right now, hoping for a speedy recovery. I've been doing all the things, you know, I do the shoulder strengthening exercises at the gym. I went to the doctors today. They said it's looking good, but until I get my x-rays and MRI back, I won't know if there's like any horrible tears or bone chipping or fractures or anything crazy like that. So 
right now I'm slinged up, unfortunately, and I have a bunch of other ski trips planned, which kind of sucks. And it was probably stupid, but I just wanted to test it out. So on Friday, the day after this happened, I took two runs and it was excruciatingly painful. So I got off the mountain promptly after that. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm just hoping for a speedy recovery. I really don't want to go through surgery again. For those who have gone through surgery, especially on like a dominant arm, you just got to learn. You can get get as creative as you want with these thoughts. You have to learn how to do everything lefty. And it is horrible. It's just, uh, it's the worst for like six weeks. So hoping I don't have to do that. Hoping for a speedy recovery. Hoping I can still get to some of those ski trips toward the end of March if my shoulder heals. For some reason, I can just envision you boarding down the mountain in a sling where it's like <laughs> both both sides of the spectrum. We're like, no, you've got to be in a sling, but you're also not stopping going down the mountain. <laughs> yeah, I was actually wearing the sling on Friday when I went down the mountain. <laughs> I had it inside my jacket, so it looked like my left arm, or sorry, my right arm was just like this flap. It was just like an empty jacket arm. <laughs> oh, on a positive note, though, we did get the place in our hometown that we've been renovating. We finally got that place tenanted. So they're moving in on March 1st, which is the day this episode is coming out. So one positive thing happened this weekend, which was great, but uh, not everything could fall my way. But Justin, that's enough about us and our triumphs and mishaps. So let's talk about our guest for today, Lauren Cabello. So Lauren starts out, you're going to hear in her story, she started out as someone who is not good with money whatsoever. She starts making money, she gets into MLMs, she's like crushing it, but she doesn't really have a good grasp on the personal finance side of things. And She goes through a lot of struggles. She ends up getting her stuff together. She now she calls herself a frugal living expert and she helps other people kind of stretch their money as far as it can possibly go, living the best life you possibly can with the money that you have. And, you know, once you start to make more money, you can start to slowly upgrade the lifestyle, but not so much that you're living paycheck to paycheck and in mountains of debt. And another thing that Lauren's been really successful at, and this is kind of a reason she was able to, you know, go full entrepreneur, is she just crushes it getting media features. Like, it's insane to see the lineup of shows that she's been on, like Rachel Ray or The Today Show or Dr. Oz or Nightline, Fox and Friends, Good Morning America. Like, that's just the big ones to name a few. And in this episode, if you're someone who, whether you're an entrepreneur and you own a small business or you're just trying to get your name out there, or even if you're not, even if you're totally content with what you're doing and you just want to learn more about networking and how to like get in the rooms with the right people, because that could just be at your day job as well. There's a lot of tactical stuff that Lauren shares. And I was really excited to take a lot of notes in this one. Yeah, with this episode, obviously not everyone is going to be looking to try to get into media. And that's what Lauren has really, really been successful at is getting into media. But I will say that to me, the principles of what she did and kind of that work ethic and thinking about like preparing yourself for situations is a good takeaway no matter what you're getting into. Like she talks about how, you know, you need to be kind of self-edited and you need to have your story ready to go so that these people at these newsrooms who are way too busy love working with you because you're just easy to work with and you got your stuff together. And that's true on so many fronts. It doesn't matter if you're just trying to get into media or you're trying to do anything where you're trying to network and you're trying to to get into a new industry. Like if you show up prepared, that puts you ahead of so many people. And if you make someone else's life easy, then why are they going to go search for somebody else? They're just going to be like, oh, yeah, I know this person's good. I know they're reliable. I'll just call them again. And again, that could be for media. That could be with anything that you're trying to get into. So to me, that's a big takeaway that I think everyone like just focus in on the way that she's like diligent and that she's thinking about the situation and she's thinking about the lens of the person who she needs to say yes and like what she can do to get them to say yes. But if you want to find links to some of Lauren's resources about money saving, you want to find out more about her story, see some of those features that she's been on or share this story with someone, you can do all that over at thefyshow.com slash 
Cabello, that's thefyshow.com slash C-O-B-E-L-L-O. Take it away, Lauren. When I was young, I remember my mom sitting at the dining room table and having her notebook open and being really stressed about money. I remember things like, I don't have money to give you that because come look at the budget. Like, do you see how short we are? You know, (laughs) money was stressful, but then we would go and go shopping, take mental health days and go shopping and skip school. (laughs) It was kind of like, wait, I thought we didn't have much money, but we lived in a nice house. We always had enough money for things. But then she was always so stressed budgeting and we didn't have money, but then we would go shopping. So like, I was always just really confused and I didn't really have any sort of grasp on how to handle finances. I did know that like there was such a thing as a budget because my mom did it, but I always thought that it was scary and like stressful. Those are some of like my first memories. And what about on like the generation side of it, like the the income generation side of it, as you're growing up, going through high school, did you start to try any little ventures on the side to kind of get your own income if maybe you were going to mom and she wasn't able to give you something that you needed? I've always been kind of like a dreamer. Like I've always been an entrepreneurial thinker. My dad was the head of information technology for the state of New York. But I remember as a kid, like we would always be like driving down the street and he'd be like, oh, that would be a really good place for this business. We should start that. Or he was always dreaming. And even now, like he's an entrepreneur now, he runs a cybersecurity. He's like, he's 70 years old and he just started his own cybersecurity firm. And he teaches at Albany Law cybersecurity and like was always thinking about like the next best thing, the next thing to do, the next thing to create. And so I definitely got that from him of the creative mindset. My first job was at like a, this is so strange, but I was at a (laughs) spaghetti fast food place. What? So like you could buy like a bucket of spaghetti. So all we had to do is like stick the spaghetti in boiling water and then like the meatballs in the microwave and then like give it to people in like a bucket. So that was my first job. I definitely have always like thought outside of the box for sure. And it got me into a lot of trouble as a teenager because <laughs> I didn't like, I wasn't like a necessarily good kid. I always thought outside the box and tried to get away with things. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess let's advance past high school and talk about when you first started making quote unquote real money. What were your spending habits? What were you making? What were you doing? Yeah. So I actually got married pretty young. I was 21. I was still in college. So I was in between my junior and my senior year of college. So we were broke. I mean, we didn't have penny to our name. So we use credit cards a lot for everything. And that just kind of continued. You know, I took my mental health days and went shopping, but dad and mom weren't paying the credit card off anymore. So a lot of those kind of things caught up to me. So by the time that we were 25 years old, we were in $40,000 worth of debt. Pretty much I had really bad spending habits. I knew that I could budget, but I didn't know how to like actually stick to it. And so I was kind of doing the whole like spending, oh shoot, I spent too much. I need to go back and budget and try and pay off this debt. That whole like really toxic cycle with money is really how I live my life. I was a drug and alcohol counselor. That's what I degree was. So I worked in a drug court system. And I worked as a drug and alcohol counselor for a couple of years and you make no money doing that because it's like a, you know, human services job. And so we just kind of got by and it wasn't until we hit rock bottom 
with the $40,000 with the debt that I really like started learning how to change my spending habits. And that's kind of where I am now. And we'll kind of get through that story. But I really radically changed my spending and got obsessed with getting out of debt. And that's what my book, The Recovering Spender, is all about, is about that journey of like going from spender to learning how to get out of debt and being like so crazy about getting out of debt and then teaching other people how to do the same. And so I think it's a good time to talk about like that rock bottom, that maybe a specific moment. Like normally people have something where it's a very specific moment where that light switch flips and you're like, I've got to make a change because, you know, you don't just go from spending, spending to all of a sudden getting your stuff in order unless you have something that really resonates with you. Yeah, that's a great question. There's actually two things that happened. I had my first child when I was 24 and we had moved from New York to South Carolina and During that time in South Carolina was when kind of everything fell apart, right? I had quit the job as a drug and alcohol counselor, and I actually started selling Mary Kay cosmetics. And I worked my way up. This is where the entrepreneurship comes in. I worked my way up from nothing to winning that pink Cadillac in 10 months. I hustled. I busted my ass. I got the pink Cadillac. Well, then... I moved to South Carolina. Everything falls apart. I'm making no money. I quit Mary Kay and they repo my pink Cadillac. <laughs> like literally <laughs> repo it with like a huge flatbed truck. And I remember being so embarrassed to like give them the keys to the car because my identity was so wrapped up in that like I drive this like really expensive nice car and I just had this custom house bought for me my identity was so wrapped up in the fact that I looked like I had it all together when we were drowning so that was number 1 number 2 is a couple months later I got audited by the IRS and I got served papers by the IRS that I owed $17,000 to the IRS within 30 days And this was right after I had had my second child and the repoed Cadillac was gone and we were in $40,000 with the debt. And it was like, something's got to give. Like, I got to figure out what the heck is going on. Cause like, we're going down and we're going downhill fast. And if we don't fix this, we're in a heap loads of trouble, like bankruptcy kind of trouble. Those were kind of the two big aha moments for me. I actually love that this is a key part of your story. I saw someone today on Twitter They were like, the best way to solve your spending problem is to make more money. And I think this is a perfect example of how that's not always true. Like there's people Mm -mm. who are making $300,000 a year who are also living paycheck to paycheck. So you're like, you're driving around the pink Cadillac, crushing it at Mary Kay. Then you move to South Carolina. The income kind of dries up. What did you start to actually do, like tactically do on the spending side to start to rein all these things in when the income came crashing down? Yeah. So the first thing I did... I took a look at like where all of my spending was, right? Man, I spent so much money on groceries and food and eating out. We loved like fine dining. So we would go out to like fancy restaurants all the time. Bills like, you know, I cut cable. I shopped around for my car insurance. I pretty much took any bill that I had and tried to figure out how to get it down. We had a four bedroom house. We were only using three bedrooms. We moved somebody into that fourth bedroom for like, you know, 500 bucks a month to bring in extra income. I learned how to coupon my tail off. It was back in the day when like, I know I'm aging myself, 
because it was back in the day when like extreme couponing was like super popular in like 2008, 2009. And I could get like $200 worth of groceries for like 30 bucks. So I was spending like 12 to $1,300 a month on food. And I cut that down to $200 a month. And I fed us on $200 a month for two years. And all of that extra money, like $1,100 a month, plus whatever we went, you know, got reduced from the bills that I had negotiated down, went to paying off debt. And we sold my husband at the time, we're divorced now, but my husband at the time's car, he had an Audi. We sold that. We bought two more reasonable cars that were cheaper. like. It was an identity crisis. I had just built this like 3,200 square foot custom home at the age of 25. I had a Cadillac and an Audi in the driveway. You know, I had my nails done. I thought I was like big shit. (laughs) I really did. And like now I'm having to like really get freaking real with myself that I'm not. Like I'm a fraud. Like, I got to take the nails off. I've got a coupon. I've got to, like, rent a room out in my house. I got to get rid of the cars. And I've got to get real. Because if I don't, like, the other option is not one that I want. That's the kind of work that has to happen. The internal work, right? Not make more money. Because if I make more money, the same stuff's going to happen if you don't do the internal work. So... We had to get like really real with ourselves. So those were kind of the biggest things that we did. We didn't eat out anymore. We didn't do anything. We kind of just like became homebodies and had to like change our lifestyle because our value of getting out of debt became much more important than the identity of like being hot shit. I love that you're going through this. Like you said, it is a touchy subject. It is like an identity crisis. And so this is a little bit of a sidestep of walking through your story, but I'm curious. If somebody listening or one of us like knew someone in our lives who we thought was in that similar situation, they were showing one version of themselves to the world, but we knew they were having some financial issues. Do you have any advice for like how to kind of approach them? Because it is such a touchy subject and to try to give them some advice, but come from a place that's going to be met with, you know, where they can meet you kind of halfway and where it doesn't feel like you're coming in and kind of preaching at them or or going to set off some kind of extreme response from them. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash show, all lowercase, at shopify.com slash show to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash show. Now back to the show. Yeah, you know, what I've found, it's in my practice of being a financial educator for the past 15 years, combined with my practice of being a drug and alcohol counselor, right? The two are pretty much the same. 
Nobody's going to change unless they want to change. So the best way that we can help our friends is to do it ourselves and maybe just talk to them about it. Like, hey, I, I found this really cool, like new budgeting app and like, this is how it works or this is how I'm getting out of debt. You know, just bring them alongside. I think the worst thing you can do is like talk down to them like, hey, I think you're having money problems because then that puts them on the defense. I think you need to acknowledge that like, I don't know, when I'm going through something personally, the people that I want to talk to are the ones that come up right next to me and are like, yeah, I've gone through that too. So let's do this together. So I think, you know, in financial issues and financial struggles to look at your friend as somebody that you can go alongside and help. Like, hey, this app is really great, or this is how I did it, and this is how I did it. And just bring it up as a conversation, then that can be really beneficial for that person actually wanting to open up to you without you having to like force them to. And you just mentioned you've been doing this as a financial educator for 15 years now, helping thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people better their financial situation. How did that all start and how did that progress during the early years? Yeah. So this is funny, Cody, because we met at FinCon this year and I don't know if ever heard of you or you had ever heard of me in the financial space. We met at the grilled cheese truck, remember? Yes, the grilled cheese truck. (laughs) (laughs) I was so hungry. I was like, I think I had just gotten done speaking and I was like, if I don't eat something, I'm going to die. But for me, I started out by accident. Like I wasn't like, I'm going to start a business. That wasn't my goal. I was getting all these groceries and stuff like that for pretty much free every week. And somebody from a local church reached out to me and said, hey, will you teach our mom's group how to do this? And I was like, sure, why not? They're like, how much do you charge? And I'm like, "Uh, $100. (laughs) Like I had no idea. I had no idea. So I charged like 100 bucks for that. And then another church wanted to invite me. So I was like, I'll charge a hundred bucks for that. And then I was like, how do I make more money doing this? So I started making like coupon organizers and selling them at that. And then we moved back to New York. I was like, how can I make more money doing these? So I contacted the local newspaper and I had the local newspaper come and I started getting paid, you know, $10 a paper or whatever to sell their newspaper. And then I started writing a column in the newspaper. And then that led to local television segments because they saw my column in the newspaper. So 2007 is when I started teaching this. I started my website. I'm like a freaking dinosaur, I feel like. In 2008, I started my website. It was under the name IamThatLady.com. And the tagline was that crazy coupon one because I taught all about like couponing. So I taught couponing for the first three years and I started getting a lot of media attention through that and just helping people save money on their groceries. So 2008 to 2012, I was under like, I am that lady teaching couponing. And then I did like deal blogging and things like that. And then in 2012, I rebranded to laurengrootman.com, which was my old married name. And then this year, finally, even though I've been Lauren Cabello for years, like branded to my actual name. So I started doing that. And then I switched to more financial education, you know, getting out of debt, learning how to budget, all of that to help with people because people wanted more than just meal planning because they wanted more debt reduction tips and my story of how my unique way that I teach budgeting and all of that. So that's how kind of the background of how the website began through a coupon seminar at a church. 
And so, you know, starting out at the, at the coupon seminar at the church, I've obviously progressed a ton since then. But at what point along the way was it, you know, whether it's checking an inbox, whether it's checking a savings account, something where you're like, oh man, this is a business. Like this is something that like, I don't need to worry about another job or like I really need to invest time in. This is something that it can sustain my lifestyle from. Yeah. So in 2010, I opened up an LLC because I was making maybe like $5,000 a month or something like that through my coupon seminars, through my newspaper article and through my website. And I thought, oh, oh, what the heck? And you know, all of the money that I made at the beginning was still paying off the debt. So once I got out of debt, all the money that we had was like bonus money because my ex-husband was an actuary. So he made a really good income and it was like, we didn't need this money. So we were kind of living large for a little while, could kind of buy whatever we wanted to, which was very unique for us. We didn't buy anything, but you know, we paid for our cars in cash and we paid our mortgage down quite a bit, almost all the way. And, you know, we were very financially wise. So it took me about two years to grow it to a place where I was like, oh, I need to like create a tax strategy here because I now have to pay the government instead of getting a return. So it took about two years. And then actually in 2015 or 2014, I was able to retire my ex-husband from his career as an actuary. And he came and joined me for a couple of years before our divorce in 2017. He worked for me from 2014 to 2016. And I was the primary breadwinner of the house. And then we got divorced in 2017 and I've been a single mom for five years and I, you know, this is my full-time job. It's grown and I'm sure we'll talk about that into a career. It took me about two years, but I've been a full-time online entrepreneur since 2008. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely going to dig into all this and it's pretty amazing to see what you've done given all the stuff that's probably been going on in the background that you weren't sharing, like going through a divorce, raising four kids, and now you're like a multi seven-figure business owner. I do want to talk about, so Justin and I on this podcast have had people who have had really successful blogs, but typically it's through social media, SEO, all these different traffic sources, but we have not really had someone who specialized in big media. And I feel like just going on your about page and looking at all the places you've been, like you listeners, you think of any big media outlet, like any TV show, any network, and Lauren's been on it. And it's pretty amazing (laughs) to see all the places that your face just pops up. So Hopefully we can kind of rewind to maybe some of those earlier ones and hopefully we can kind of get some tactical tips for the audience, whether they're an entrepreneur looking to get their face out, looking to get their brand out. Or I think there's going to be a lot of parallels that people who are just working regular day job, W2 job, a lot of parallels that they can draw from your strategies, landing all these huge media and brand appearances that they can use in their own job, whether it's to get a raise or to switch companies or whatever. So I know it's a really long winded question, but hoping we can just kind of dive into that. Cause like I said, we have not had an expert on in this field before. Yeah, cool. I'm glad to be your first. <laughs> it's something that I'm truly passionate about is teaching other entrepreneurs how to leverage media exposure to increase, you know, their brands and, and profitability. So like I said, I kind of got media exposure pretty quickly from From early on. So I've been on television since 2010. So when I was on TV earlier, it was local. And I really tried to capitalize on the local market and get really, really good on television. You know, really 
learning like what producers like and try to think like a television producer. That's kind of what my early goals were. But I also just wanted to be friends with them. You know, I have some really amazing friendships with local television producers that I've been friends with for, you know, 12 years now. And for me, it wasn't all about what I can take from them. It's about what can I give your audience? And I think that that's a strong differentiator when somebody's trying to book you is they know that you're there to really serve the audience. And I think that can really kind of set you apart. But my goal obviously was always to get more traffic back to my website, more sales, more credibility, more visibility. When you have a media wall like mine that, you know, has been seen on as seen on like every show you can possibly imagine, people land on your website and they're like, oh, okay, this girl knows what she's talking about, right? So it gives you a lot of credibility and kind of puts you above the rest of your competition. But when I started media, for me, it was all just about like getting my story out there and getting my message out there and helping other people and getting them back to my website so that I could get them on my email list and all of that. I did some crazy things early on. I was like, one time, I don't remember how I answered like a Twitter, like Dr. Oz was like putting something on Twitter and I answered the tweet. Then I ended up like in his studio audience talking about something. Like I wasn't actually on the show, but when I was there, I was like, oh, I'm going to meet a producer. Like I better be ready to pitch myself to this producer. And through that interaction, that landed me a three and a half year position on the Dr. Oz show. Once she met me and found out that I had had lots of media exposure and all of that. So always be prepared. For me, the biggest thing was always that I wanted a book deal. And I knew that if I could leverage media exposure, it would help me get a book deal. So I always had a strategy, you know, from the very beginning, I was like, okay, this is fun. This is fun. But it's like, oh, I can use this to get a book deal. But for me, it's all about relationships. I think when people are pitching themselves out to media, they hire a PR company that charges them $5,000 to $10,000 a month, which is like ridiculous. I had a friend of mine that just told me he got $40,000 for eight pitches. And I was like, what the? <laughs> I was like, first of all, like you need to call me anytime you make any decisions like that, because that's ridiculous. Second of all, maybe I should raise my prices. <laughs> that's what I thought. No, I thought PR reps, you know, they charge you five to $10,000 and they send out a press release. That's not going to get you anywhere in the media world. Producers see right through that. They want to meet the influencers. They want to meet the people that are pitching you. So with my clients in the media company that I have now is I teach them a strategy that helps them get noticed in the media right away that gets them booked. But they want to hear directly from the influencers and they don't want a press release. They will literally just delete your email right away. You have to pitch the right pitch to the right show on the right topic for the right audience. You know, it takes time. That's just what I did is I blocked off hours in my day to pursue television. I watched every single segment that I did and I critiqued it, said, how can I do this better? And I just worked at it. And I got a hell of a lot of no's. A lot of no's. I just watched this video, actually. Gary Vee posted something and it was like, how do people that succeed do very well? And it's like they get comfortable with losing. And that's what we have to do. Get comfortable with like the no's and being like, 
oops, there's another one, you know, get comfortable with hearing no and being okay with sucking and getting better and losing and get right back up and do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, talking through getting like your foot in the door initially with some of the media, like getting on the local news for the first time. I know you mentioned that, hey, if it's just a press release, like that's probably not the best move. What are some other things that people can do? To kind of, you know, stand out and give themselves a legitimate chance of somebody giving them a chance. And that way they can start building that media wall and getting that credibility, just getting that snowball rolling. I would tell people to focus on local media first. A lot of people come to me and say, oh, I want the Today Show and I want this and I want this. And it's like, listen, like you got to put in your time. You got to perfect the craft. You've got to put your time into the local shows first, but also podcasts and radio A lot of these local shows or a lot of the national shows also have podcasts and huge social media accounts. A lot of the strategies that I'm seeing happen now in the PR world is that we are seeing people creating viral videos and then using those viral videos to pitch out to media to get media coverage. And then this is one of the hacks that I'll share that I share with my clients is, you know, create a viral video. And then use that to pitch a show. And then that show, you know, will have you on air. And then we use that viral video to retarget on social media those TikTok fans on their TikTok account or their Instagram or their Facebook account so that we can retarget them to get their email addresses and get them back. Like, hey, did you see me on the show? Here's the video. And then we retarget them that way so that we can capitalize and try and get some sort of ROI on the appearance. And getting real tactical with the reach out here, is it? Through one channel? Is it always email? Is it sometimes LinkedIn? Is it sometimes Twitter? Are you keeping a management system like a CRM or a Google spreadsheet? Like, let's just get in the weeds of kind of the reach mm-hmm. out process here. Cause I know some people like to just send random messages on whatever platform. Some people really like to nerd out, aka me. So, curious what the process is for you and the people that you coach. Yeah. So, I keep a Google Doc and I actually have access that I give to my clients of a database that has all of the producers in the country from local to national that I share with my clients. So we use that, but I also share with people how to find the right contacts. So for me, it's about finding the right people in your area with the right audience and then keeping a Google Doc with that, with the producer. Um, A lot of times people will send you to the news desk. So the way like a local news station works is like, you have like a news desk, right? And they like gather all of the news for the day and then they field it out to whoever's covering it, right? So if you have a relationship with a reporter, they can get you in a lot faster than the news desk does because they know you. So for me, I typically reach out to the reporters that I have relationships with or the producers. If that doesn't fail, I go right to the news desk and send them the information. And then you want to send them you know, a couple ideas of some ways that you can help their audience. I think that that's key. A mistake that people make when they're pitching people is like, hey, I want to come on and talk about my book. (laughs) Like that's not going to get you anywhere, right? I'll give an example, my book, The Recovering Spender, okay? I did a two-part segment on the Today Show with Kathy Lee and Hoda at the time, okay? And I brought a woman When I did my book, I created a documentary helping a family get out of debt to help promote the book. And during that time, this family made significant progress. So when I pitched the Today Show, I pitched them, hey, I'm going to bring Bridget on, who was the woman in the documentary. I'm going to bring her on the show 
And we're going to talk about the emotions that she had when she was going out of debt. We're going to talk about the struggles that we had. We're going to talk about where she is now at the end of this documentary. And you can use any parts of that documentary in B-roll, you know, for the segment. So now they have this like amazingly professionally produced documentary that they can edit B-roll into. And it was a 22 minute segment in an hour show. They spent half of the show on my book. We sold so many books that day. And so you have to come with like a story. Like, what's your story? Not like, hey, my business is doing great this year. No. What's the story behind your brand and your business? Why can your story help other people? And then you have to match it with the target audience and you have to match it with the reporter that you're working with. You know, you have to figure out what, you know, you don't want to pitch like, a money story to like a weatherman, right? You got to find the right people. So those are all kinds of the things that I help my clients with in the coaching company. So this is kind of going through, you know, how to get that pitch accepted. But earlier you talked about how you would go back and actually watch your segments and kind of, you know, look for things that you had done and refine that. What are some things that you learned early on that you were doing wrong or maybe that you see other people doing wrong when they're actually going on set and doing the segment itself? This is one of my favorite ones, right? Don't look at the camera. Never look at a camera ever because this is what you look like. (laughs) And then you look like a total idiot, right? So I think that's a big thing is I always, you know, I do media coaching as well with my clients, like where to look, what to wear, what to say, how to phrase things, what to do when you need to sneeze on camera, you know, those kind of like things you don't ever think about. So one of the big things is where to look and how to position yourself on TV man, I have worn some really terrible outfits where I'm like, what were you thinking? I've also, back in the day, I do a lot of things like teaching people how to structure their segment the right way so that you have some sort of call to action looped in there that sounds super organic, but that gives people some sort of notice of a call to action that doesn't sound very well. The key thing, and I actually have a TikTok on this, which talks about the number one question to ask producers that people never ask, which is what is going to be in my lower third. The lower third is, you know, where our names are down here. They have that in television too. Producers like normally have no idea what to put in there. They just like make something up. And so you take control and say, what are you going to put in my lower third? And they're like, oh, what do you want us to put? And then you have control over it. You can say, you know, Lauren Cabello, frugal living expert or Lauren Cabello, media coach. Can you put my website name in that lower third? Is that, is that allowed? Can we say my website name in the intro? Is that allowed? Are, do you allow me to put a link in the web copy of the article? Is that allowed? You know, ask those types of questions so that when you get to the point where everything is airing, you're not disappointed. You've already put yourself up there. You've asked those questions. Don't be afraid to offend anybody because you're going in there on your free time to share something with their audience for free. Your payment is a link, something in the bio and a shout out somehow. And that's just the way it is. That's like the way that I think it should be. So I always make sure that that is like the number one question that I ask before I go on a show. So I love that we're talking about CTAs, calls to action, because I think a lot of people try to get that viral thing, whether it's a media segment or just a viral TikTok or reel or YouTube video or whatever, but they don't have a system to kind of capture that virality. They don't have a way to like funnel all those leads into whatever the thing they have. So 
What are some ideas of good CTAs, calls to action that people can use? I know it's going to depend, obviously, on what the person's an expert in, but that you've seen successful for yourself and for clients you've worked with. Yeah. So one of the things that I did with the Rachel Ray segment a couple of years ago is I asked them if I could give copies. I used to sell a planner called the Personal Finance Planner. I'm like trying to find a copy. (laughs) It's under the desk. (laughs) It's under the desk somewhere. I used to sell a planner called the Personal Finance Planner in physical format. I sell it in, in digital now. So I asked if I could bring a copy of that away to everybody in her studio audience. And they were like, yeah, we love giveaways. So I did that. And that was a really good call to action for people to go to my website and you know, for me, it didn't cost me a ton of money. I mean, it cost me some money, but I definitely earned it on the way back because I use that for promotional appearances. Like, hey, Rachel Ray, this is her planner. Like, this is the planner that she loves. And then I've done just in passing, like, you know, I talk a lot about this in my book, The Recovering Spender, blah, 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 blah. You know, just simple. Then people can Google your book. Or, you know, if people are interested in finding out more about me, they can just go to my website, you know, laurencabello.com. But ask beforehand. You don't want to get blacklisted from a show because you've gone in there and promoted the heck out of yourself. That's not what this is about. Ask them beforehand what an appropriate thing is for you to say, what they're comfortable with. And so for me, TV is very scripted. I have a script when I go into any national show. I know exactly what I'm supposed to say. If I deviate anything from that, It's usually very conversational. So I don't want to step on any toes. I already know going in there, if they're going to say my name, what the call to action is, if my website name is going to be in the web copy, all of that. So I don't have to be nervous that like I'm losing an opportunity. You know what I mean? Like I'm already prepared. But so those are some of the things that I've had done in the past. One of the things we didn't go over earlier, you know, we're talking about how to do the pitch, what to do once you get on the show. But let's say I want to pitch the local CBS network from Mm -hmm. my area. How do I even go about figuring out who that person is that I reach out to in the first place, like getting the contact information? Yeah. So most of the local stations have their news desk email right on their website. Mm -hmm. So you can go and get the news desk email and email them or You know, I like to track people down on social media using hashtags on social media for your local city. You can find reporters that way. And you can find, you know, I like to go into the news stations and see who they're following. Most of the time, my local news stations all have their reporters verified because they have like a verification service that they use. So you can find out real quick who their top reporters are and pitch them directly like through Instagram. But keep in mind, this is one thing that like a lot of people don't know. Reporters and producers are highly underpaid, like ridiculously underpaid. And they work like so many hours. So if you can come in as a guest, as like a present, like here's Lauren. And this is what I try to do. Like I'm Lauren. I'm coming in as the dream guest who knows what she's doing, who's going to give you a really good segment who's going to help your audience in exchange for a link or something like that, or a bio or that I can shout out my own website. And I'm going to be available to you at any time, anytime you need me, you know, within reason, they like crave those type of people. Right. And then you use that media attention to leverage your business to the next level through a book deal. And this is what I do through my media companies through the book, through a book deal. Cause then you take that to the next level 
And then at your speaking engagements, you have something more to sell or something to give away. It just helps you bring your business to the next level. So look on the websites, social media, Twitter. They are craving consistent, reliable guests. So I know earlier you talked about Gary Vee was like, get really comfortable with sucking at stuff and getting a lot of no's. But I have a question about like how many no's you're, I guess, aiming for, <laughs> for lack of a better way to put it. Like, are you just sending out a pitch and then maybe they don't answer or maybe they give, give you like a maybe and then you just leave it? Or do you have some kind of a rule of thumb where you're reaching out like three times and then after that, I'm going to wait a couple of years until I reach out again? Because I know there's a lot of different strategies and a lot of people give up too early just because they don't get a response. Oh, yeah. No, I'm ruthless. Okay. <laughs> because media happens so fast. What was popular like three days ago is not popular now. So I always tell people to look at the local news and then try and, you know, blend your story into what's going on currently. It's a term called newsjacking. And we do that all the time is figure out what's going on locally, financially or whatever. And from there, we go into like pitching that way. So no, there's not a time to stop. If you're not getting a reaction, there's a reason. And you might want to take a look at what that reason is, right? So a lot of times it's because you're pitching the wrong person. You're not pitching relevant content. This is a big one. Your videos on social media suck. I have gotten some clients that I'm like, okay, first we're going to, before we do anything else, you got to stop posting horrible videos on social media. Like of you starting the video like this and then not talking for three seconds. Like, come on, nobody's going to book you. Your videos on social media need to be good because they're going to go find you and they're going to watch you and they want to make sure that you can hold your own on television. So you need to make sure that whenever you're doing video that you're presenting yourself. So you need to take a look at kind of your overall brand. Like, are you ready? Is your website set up? Does it look like your five-year-old child set up your website? Does it look like it's a business? What's the outside package look like on your brand? And that's what we do is kind of do a holistic approach. And bouncing off of that, do you think it is important then to build a little bit more of a video portfolio so that people out there can feel more comfortable with bringing you on TV? If you're someone who has an online presence, but maybe you just have a blog, maybe you have Instagram, but you're just doing pictures, you know, that sort of thing. You don't really have that video catalog. I don't really think it's like super necessary. I do think that you should have some experience doing some sort of video. But it's not absolutely necessary, no. But I do think that learning some of the key tips and tricks of doing television is really, really important before you do go on air. Awesome. Well, bringing this interview to a close, Lauren, we've covered a lot of ground and hopefully a lot of our listeners can leverage some of the knowledge that we shared today and get featured mm -hmm. in their local news station and then eventually Rachel Ray and shows like that. Good morning, America. But for those who want to follow along, those who want to get in touch, where is the best place or places for them to do that? Right. So I've been running laurencabello.com since 2008. So they can find me at laurencabello.com. And all my socials are on there. And my email is on there as well. And then in 2022, I started Leverage with Media. So leveragewithmedia.com, which is a media coaching company that helps entrepreneurs that want to write books and get books 
get book deals and also current authors who want to sell more books. I help them get media coverage and we help sell more books as well. I have a literary agent on and publicist on staff for that company. So if anybody wants a book deal, we can pitch them out and get them on television. So you can find me on social media. I have social media accounts under both Lauren Cabello and under Leverage with Media to kind of see them both. But yeah, people can reach out to me. And if anybody has any interest, I do a free 30-minute consult where people can come and I can sit down with them and talk if we're a right fit to work together. Well, thank you again, Lauren, for coming on the show, giving us some time. It's really cool to see just the whole arc of your story and all the exposure you've been able to gain. So again, thank you for giving us a little time. Thanks so much. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share this with a friend. And also, don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way, every Wednesday, you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick, before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million, available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.